Hello and welcome to the menu. Monocle's program on great food, drink and hospitality. I am Marcus Hippi. This week we meet the founders of Maiha, a new Japanese omakase in London that has its roots in Beirut. From the beginning, you must understand, uh, it was always our intention to open outside of Beirut. Anyway, Beirut was was the starting point for us. Uh, we didn't foresee opening in London that soon. And when we found the site, it was, you know, that's it. Then we meet a French catering company that organizes pop-ups at the most important cultural events around the globe. And so basically for us, following uh, those amazing creative weeks, allow us to, to gather with our community around the world and meet them uh, in different spaces where the cities are burning creatively. All that, the week's headlines and a unique wine business from Barcelona in the next 30 minutes here on The Menu. Here at Midori House in London, we have been lucky enough to get a new neighbor. A Japanese omakase called Maiha opened right around the corner a few weeks ago. Some listeners may recognize the name. Maiha originally opened in Beirut, but was destroyed in the huge chemical explosion that devastated the Lebanese capital in 2020. Now the reincarnated Maiha offers the same qualities as its predecessor. Great food made from some of the best ingredients and a little bit of theatre too, as chefs prepare the dishes in front of guests. Jurek Vasho is the executive chef of Maiha and Karim Arakshi is its co-founder. They joined me to talk about how Beirut's hospitality scene has recovered since the explosion and how the history of Maiha stretches back many years. The history really goes back to uh, when we started the business in general in 1997, which is basically a supply chain and production facility of smoked salmon, among other other smoked fish, and uh, with the import of ingredients into into the country from all over the world, basically to supply the FNV industry uh, locally. But it goes even way before that, uh, through my personal experience with sushi and omakase, which dates back to 1990 in in in, uh, in Los Angeles, and it's been it's become a sort of a a habit uh, of mine to go wherever I travel to try and, and find different uh, propositions uh, of omakase, which I became I, I fell in love with from the from the, from the beginning, from back in 1990, and it's been something that I've been exposing myself to ever since. So I always wanted something of that caliber to open in Beirut, but nothing ever did. And then we had all the supply chain ready, so I would always go and try to entice people to do it so we can supply them. But it didn't materialize, so we decided to make it happen ourselves. And that's why uh, Maiha came to be. Can you also tell me how, how, how you and Jurek met? I think it's interesting. Jurek, you have a very interesting backstory as well. I just learned that you were a very successful athlete in Poland. Yeah, that's true. Um, it, but it's, uh, it's it was a long time ago, you know, during the time my time at the university. But uh, we met in London for the first time in 2018. I was headhunted uh, by Karim, actually. Uh, over there, but I was brought to London by a very good friend of mine and my previous head chef, David. Uh, so he brought me there to Yashin Ocean House, and yeah, that's where we met. So you opened 
restaurant Maya in Beirut in 2019 and then that devastating blast happened in in 2020 tell me how how you felt that in the restaurant we felt it uh, it, it was completely destroyed the the, uh, the team was extremely fortunate uh, actually uh, a dear friend of mine happened to swing by seconds before the blast uh, to say hello to them because it was a habit uh, of his 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 office was in the neighborhood and uh, luckily when the when the first there was a, a slight murmur or kind of a semi blast that happened that wasn't the real blast and he felt something was was going on he told them literally to go and hide behind uh, a wooden door that a wooden wall that we have uh, one that basically houses the uh, pot wash area and the other the other side houses the cloakroom and they basically somehow listened i mean they were kind of directly influenced by what he told them to do no one hesitated they all went behind that wall and Seconds later, the uh, the blast happened, and the entire place was completely obliterated. If they were in the restaurant, none of them would have survived at all. So we're very lucky. What did you think about after that? You didn't think about launching the restaurant in Beirut again, or, or did you? You are in London now. Uh, we did. I mean, uh, the blast, uh, along with the previous incidents that happened, because there was lots of street riots and there was a, a revolution, uh, probably around uh, like eight months prior to the to the blast. So we were really subjected to a lot of different things. We never gave up, despite the fact that uh, our customer base was really affected. I mean, people's income was devastated. People lost their, their wealth uh, through the, through the uh, devastating inflation that hit the country. But we continued. We really uh, uh, never gave up hope of reopening Maiha in Beirut at all uh, until... Uh, from the beginning, you must understand, uh, it was always our intention to open outside of Beirut. Anyway, Beirut was was the starting point for us. Uh, we didn't foresee opening in London that soon. But after the blast, we retained most of the team, and they stayed, and we did my hat home to mitigate all that. It was very successful, so basically people would, would, would hire the team to come to their houses and, and, and have the, the full experience, which was great. It allowed us to continue... The creative uh, endeavors of 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 you know omakase and 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 we remained viable to our suppliers here uh, and uh, through in the UK or in Japan or wherever we purchased our ingredients. So uh, we continued, and then when we found the site, it was you know that's it. Next door from Midori House. Yes, mm, we are very yeah. we are very lucky. Um, let's talk about the concept of 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 Maya now. You mentioned already earlier that you wanted to create something that Beirut, for example, hadn't seen before. So maybe this is for for you, Yurek, as well. What is the concept of Maya? How would you explain it to our listeners? So the main concept is to bring uh, you know the like we are claiming to be the Omakase restaurant. So this is like a daily chef's choice or maybe seasonal menu chef's choice Uh, however we are not trying to be um, 100% you know Japanese restaurant of course this is our uh, this is our strong fundament this is from where uh, we are mainly sourcing our ideas however we are not afraid to to take anything from any other cuisine and put it into our menu, yeah. 
Can you tell me something about the dishes you've been serving recently? Are there any specific dishes that you think would nicely exemplify what you just explained to us? Yeah, maybe I I will I will talk about the venison, of course. So venison um, has also tradition in uh, in Japan, however not at the coast. If you would go more into the country, like to the mountainside or whatever, you will find the wild meat which is served over the over the fire. But this one also has a long tradition in Poland because in Poland till now we have a we have a lot of hunters, we have a lot of people who are hunting. So we are also having this uh, this kind of meat. Just now you have to ju- you have to know how to treat it and then how to serve it. So how we played it in uh, in Maiha, it reminds me the time when I used to go with my father for hunting and then we used to we used to have it at home. So on the plate the two pieces of of the venison steak served along red currant which for me it's a symbol of blood of the of the animal and then on the side is uh, I, some herb which is kinome uh, kinome leaf this is the leaf of japanese sancho pepper and this one reminds me fern from the woods where you can pretty often m- meet the you know the the deer yeah Maya is not it's not a hugely big restaurant. I think you have what was it 11 seats altogether. Yeah, so it's it's quite yeah. a personal experience and yes. obviously obviously Yurek you are talking customers through what they're about to dine or have for lunch. Yeah. Tell me about your idea. What was your idea of of the kind of hospitality you wanted to offer? What kind of customer service is Maya all about? Well, it's actually a typical omakase, which is a very personal experience to begin with. We did not uh, reinvent the wheel here. Uh, we just tried to adhere to it, but doing it at the same time our way. So classically, an omakase experience is usually as small as maybe four seats at times. There are uh, places that just have four seats or sometimes six, sometimes eight. The maximum really, I mean, there now it's becoming a little bit more flexible, but usually the maximum goes up to 12 to 15. That's tops. Uh, and when you get to that, you have to have two main chefs that are servicing uh, that amount of people. Uh, what we what we try to create at Maiha is to be authentic, but at the same time engage all the senses of our customers through the experience with the chef and the food, and at the same time the aesthetic of the place, the music. So the experience, we wanted to make it a little bit more elaborate. Tell me about aesthetics and music, for example. To me, it's part of the experience. I mean, uh, it's, it's so important. Uh, music, the way the staff is moving, the way they're communicating with each other, uh, it's, it's a very sensitive thing. Uh, of course, not everybody senses that, but uh, we certainly do where we want to provide you with a full experience that covers all the senses. So what do you tell your staff members? How do you explain that philosophy to them? How should they behave and act? From my standpoint, and I think this question, uh, Yurik can a- better answer because I mean, he's the one that that sets the tone. But from my point of view, I trust the team completely to be themselves. And I would like their character and their persona that I enjoy so much to actually become a parent to the people who come and visit. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Even talking about the music, someone told me, you know, that if you are running your own place, your own restaurant, or is it a bar or is it even a shop, You should play your music, the music which you are listening to. So the people, when they are coming over, they feel that they are at your home. 
actually. Yeah. So in case of staff members, yeah, we also we want them to be to be themselves. We don't want to fake anything. And uh, just you know, just act natural, but let's say behavior. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of plans do you have for the future? Be it with my how, be it what's with what's happening in Beirut. Well, Beirut remains to be an important part uh, of what we do. Uh, so we hope to maintain and strengthen uh, our position there. Uh, we have uh, businesses in the region, uh, in the region of Lebanon, basically, whether it's in the Uh, in the GCC uh, countries, uh, but we have, um, we're very excited about, about our plans in London specifically. Um, and like I mentioned, we have one that's upcoming in Chelsea in April, May uh, of this year, which we're looking forward to. Meet the Fish is incidentally was our first uh, restaurant opening as a group. Uh, What so is Meet the Fish like? What it's all about? I would say it's a refuge. It's a place. Uh, it's a neighborhood refuge, or um, a place where you can. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a lifestyle brand, perhaps. Uh, that's what it what it became in in Lebanon. Uh, it was never designed to be. It was designed to be a place where people would find value, uh, whether in ingredients or in uh, comfort food, and it became. We feel that potentially we can translate that into into London as well. Now we've been talking about your London plans very much. I just like to hear what is what is the mood. What do you think about the future of Beirut, and what is the mood over there when you're talking about hospitality industry? How much optimism is there about future and 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 what it may bring? Mm. Big question. It's, yeah, it's a difficult. It's a difficult question. one. It's yeah. a difficult one. I mean, um, there's the there's uh, no one answer for it. Yeah, for there, sure. Mm. For sure. Uh, it's it's certainly. I mean, if you want to go the classic answer from a typical Lebanese person, they would tell you, you know, because we're eternally optimistic, sometimes stupidly optimistic. Uh, but all I can speak of is, uh, for us, uh, we will, not out of some patriotic sense, by the way, just out of some, out of the law of the jungle way, if you will. Uh, you basically, the jungle burns, but life, life comes back. And that's how I see it. You know, uh, there's always there's always hope. There's always uh, room for uh, for new beginnings. And uh, what happens outside the scope of our group is out of my hands. What happens within, I can influence. So we want to continue. We love what we do. That's it. Yeah, and the place has like a huge potential. You know, as a country, huge potential. You have mountains where it's snowing during the winter. So let's say even during the March. Um, I don't know, you can go for a skiing in the morning mm-hmm. and then you, it takes like one hour and a half and you're going down to the coast and you're having a cocktail, you know, watching, Yurik, looking at Yurik, the... Yurik yeah. has gone native. He's become yeah. very Lebanese. But this is such a typical Lebanese thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> It's coming from a Polish guy. Yeah. <laughs> Kari Marakshi, the co-founder of Maya Restaurant and its executive chef, Jurek Vasho there. You are with the menu on Monocle 24. 
If you've been at any major art and design events in the last few years, there is a good chance that somewhere in that city, we our owner will be cooking up a storm. The France-based Caterers was founded in 2019 and it creates 12 annual pop-ups a year all over the world on the sidelines of major cultural events. For Freeze Los Angeles, they have set up a pop-up in the backyard of the studio of designer Willow Perrin and our USA editor Chris Lord went down there to meet We Are Owners founder Luca Bronzato. So I always work in the fine dining world and instead of building a traditional restaurant, even I really love traditional restaurant, we wanted to um, build a more horizontal way. So now we have two um, main activities, creating restaurants in places that are not restaurants, 12 times a year in 12 different locations, basically. And then we do a lot of culinary events, so private events that are really creative for luxury brands. You come to a city, like we're in LA now, mm. you come to a city where there is a, an art event going on, freezes unfolding just as we speak, they're mm. putting the final touches to the, to the exhibition hall, and you come and you set up working with, in this case, a local design studio mm. to base yourself here. You've done this at the Venice Biennale before. What's the thinking about where you want to situate your mm. mobile restaurant? Yeah, we really want to put uh, the food talents and the food world uh, in a disposition of creatives, right? Uh, we do think that uh, doing service and creating culinary experiences, it's it's a really creative thing. And so we have a lot of creative guests from the fashion industry to the design to the art, um, yeah, music, cinema. And so basically for us, following uh, those amazing creative weeks allow us to to gather with our community around the world and meet them uh, in different spaces where the cities are burning creatively. I feel even they are in other time of the year. We find an inspiring space. Uh, so we have, we have a few criteria. It needs to not be known by the locals and also to respect time and place. And, uh, and yeah, and then we partner with amazing designers. Um, for example, uh, Willow designed the table. We're, we're sitting on a on this Reno table, but also Peter Shire designed some benches and some ceramics for the event. And then we invite chefs, of course, and we create um, uh, a really curated uh, fine dining experience. For example, now in LA, we have five course and nine course menu. So I should say where we are, and you can hear a lot of activity in the yeah. background, people moving around, there's, yeah, there's pots being moved around, <laughs> there's, there's people setting tables and getting ready to go. And in this, really, like you say, a back lot of a, of a design studio, <laughs> you've transformed it into a really beautiful, uh, temporary feeling a little bit in a good way but it is it, it feels ephemeral it feels like it's going to come and go but a really long communal table all set up with Peter Shire cookware and, and tableware uh, I think here we wanted to bring something which is um, French but as we respect the time and place we respect local produce and so we as well as a designer for what it, when it comes for wines or for food we always use local produce the research has been uh, going on since months now and so we're really happy to work with amazing seafood from california from amazing citrus um, fruits vegetables meats of course so it's it's really amazing um but you do just a set menu there's no there's yeah, no a la carte here it's just a pure set menu people come they yeah. sit down and they they get your creation so what's on the what's on the menu today now so tonight it's a really take on on, on like french classics so you can have like a uh, a gougere, but it's 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 made with this incredible local cheese. Um, you have um, 
take on on pomme d'amour, which is made with a, a roasted celeriac on the barbecue. You have this um, crepe Suzette, but it's like uh, made with mezcal and, and Californian blue orange. Your background is from Noma in Copenhagen, and you were worked there for a very long time. They are also now embarking on this pop-up model. And talk me through that a little bit, because there'll be some people who hear that and think, well, it's expensive to set up a restaurant. It's even more expensive to do it in a city that you maybe don't know that well. How does that work? How does it balance out here as an entrepreneur trying to run this business? So I think we do that thanks for to our beautiful partners. So it can be a space that supports us. So it can be Willow in LA or, uh, or Floss in Milano that so they provide us with a space. We, we have some amazing partners like Christophe for the cutlery or we do like partnership for the tableware with amazing people like Peter Shire. And, um, and also after, it's always finding a way to pay well your talent, I guess, pay well your suppliers. Um, and so I guess in every business you need to find a balance. And uh, we're really happy on our side to have like this B2C business, which is the pop-up, and the B2B business, which are the, the culinary events, which are, I have to say, like really creative events that we do for brands and a more private um, uh, setup. And, and I guess this is where we can uh, finance as well our our, our creative pop-ups uh, in a way. And, uh, yeah, and it, this, this recipe is, is so nice because it works actually with butter. Do you miss a restaurant? A solid restaurant that you can go into every day? I, I, I go to eat a lot in restaurants, so it's, uh, it's, it's good. <laughs> but running your own, do you miss yeah, that at all? I mean, I mean, I mean I d we still do a lot of service, so you like we, we're really on service all the time. So I will not say I miss service because we, we do a lot of service. I will say for now I don't miss it. Event world and pop-up world allows you as well like to find a balance family balance as well so I have, a, I have a young kid and an amazing wife so so I'm happy like I'm, I'm not missing yet Luca Bronsard the founder of We Are Owner there in discussion with Monaco's Chris Lord Let's next hear from Monaco's Lillian Fawcett she's here with the week's hospitality headlines U.S. lawmakers have written to the country's top egg producers, demanding to know why egg prices have hit record highs in recent months. Reuters reports that Senator Elizabeth Warren and Representative Katie Porter asked the firms whether increased costs were a legitimate response to reduced supply or out-of-control corporate greed. The price of a dozen eggs was up 150% year-on-year in January at $4.80, that's €4.50. The lawmakers requested a response by the 1st of March. A famous Chicago restaurant will temporarily close at the end of February to make way for a $4 million rebuild. Car mines in the city's Gold Coast district will be bulldozed and replaced with a larger venue, adding several new dining rooms and an all-weather terrace. The redevelopment is expected to take about 15 months. Not a single French cheese appeared in the top 10 of a new list of the world's best cheeses, leaving France's foodies outraged. Italian cheeses secured eight of the top 10 spots on the ranking by Bulgaria-based site Taste Atlas, with Parmesan in first, followed by Burrata and Grana Padano. The highest-ranked French cheese was Reblochon at 13th, which news channel BFM-TV called a crushing blow for French gastronomy. And Japan's ailing vending machine industry is turning to more refined foods in a bid to stay popular, with some selling fresh sashimi, caviar and even wagyu steak. Frozen and chilled versions of Michelin Guide dishes are also on offer. 
Vending machines are widely used in Japan, traditionally offering hot drinks, meals, and even toys. But the total number has fallen 30% since 2000. Those are the week's food and drink headlines. Back to you, Marcus. Thanks, Lillian. You are with the menu on Monocle 24. The urban sprawl of Barcelona is hemmed in by the rolling hills of Colcerola, the city's green lung made up of 8,000 hectares of protected parkland. It's an area that used to be heavily farmed, but today only has a handful of small agricultural businesses remaining. One of them is Lolivera, a winery run from an ancient farmhouse called Cancalopa. It's a social enterprise that provides work for people from marginalized communities, producing wine and olive oil and running a small kitchen garden. Monocle's Hester Underhill was taken on tour by Lolivera's Francesc Castro to learn more about the project. See, the, the farmhouse of Cancalopa, uh, it was uh, acquired by the, by the municipality of Barcelona in the 1960s and is a 16th century farmhouse, or as we said in Catalan, a masia. Uh, it's a traditional construction of, a, of a, a farmhouse that is said that the traditional masias were inspired or were born from the Roman villas, no? The farmhouse is set in the middle of the state, surrounded by all the land and different crops. And uh, when we talk about preserving you know, sustainability, for instance, we do not, not only think about in terms of environment, but also in, uh, in taking care of the architectonical heritage. Here in Coisarola, uh, hundreds of uh, masias that still survive, but just a few are still producing and living from the land. But um, we wanted to bring it back to life with our uh, agriculture project. See, because the, the idea is just uh, not only, I mean, making good olive oil and good wine, but also uh, promote the agriculture activity. And um, is a way to, to let the people know about the last farmers in Coisarola. You have to think that since the 1950s until now, the, um, the land used for agriculture in Coisarola has decreased more than 70%. And you have some sheep over there as well. Yeah. We use the sheep, it's a breed of sheep, it's called Ripulleza from Catalonia. And um, we use them just to keep the state uh, clean. And here we have the, the two plots. One, we just uh, crafted this summer with a charelu because uh, here in, in Cancalopa we are making our Viñas de Barcelona with Syrah and Grenache, is our red, and we make uh, Vida Finca, a, a single plot uh, wine, uh, white. So, and here we have the American rootstock planted, and next year we're going to add uh, an indigenous grape that we are still thinking on which, which one. And the, so the same team who makes the wine manages the garden as well? Yeah, this year, as I said, we have a, a team of social workers. So according to the profile of the guys living and working here, they decide where can work or perform 
perform uh, better. So some of them are in charge of the of the garden. And are there often kind of success stories with people turning, you know, finding a new way of of kind of coping and living through the work that they do here? I have to think that we have people in Vallbona that now they retired, so older than 65, that they spend all their life with us. So the only family they have is Lulivera. So um, we don't want to be like, okay, you come here, you spend like three months with us or one year and then no, no, we follow them, we help them to find other jobs, to, to grow as a person and as a worker here, but also trying to encourage them to, to make their own life, no? Monaco says to Underhill reporting from Barcelona. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. That's at 1500 in Toronto. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show Food Neighbourhoods for great recipes. And of course, you'll find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. I am Marcus Hippi. Our studio engineer was Kelly McLean. Once again, we finished this programme with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here is Alma with Summer Really Hurts Us. Thanks for listening and until next week.